You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. This week, we're looking at something that was. It's been kind of just obscured for a lot of people. It's not something people necessarily think about, but they know it goes on. Yep. And luckily, one of the titans of the industry recently peeled back the curtain on it, and that is pack cracking math. What is it? Why you need it? How that affects singles prices? Why you as a backpacker need to care? Yeah. That's basically it. Yep. Uh, for me, my experience with it was pretty light overall. Uh, working at Prol, we had our little algorithm in place and our distro was infinite so the reason we did it was basically the same reason that star city does it that channel fireball did it etc and it was just so we could have quantity um we will talk about the algorithm and all of that ahead of time but one of the big things that mattered to us and one of the things i want to talk to you about is um at that point in time when there were no distro issues we knew exactly what we were getting so we actually kind of yeah. would work this algorithm in reverse because we knew how many boxes we were going to get. And from there, we were able to take that information and walk it backwards through the algorithm that we're gonna tell you about and say like, okay, this is what we expect to get for rares, for mythic, commons, uncommons. Uh, foils are a little different. We're not, I don't think we're really gonna to touch on that today because as we touched on in a much previous episode, uh, somewhere like a year or two ago, uh, rates changed over time. Yeah. And that impacts your foil rates a lot. And all this basically allows allowed us to list stock on the website accordingly and start making our pre-sales so all in all at its core what is pack cracking math so pack cracking math at its core like you touched on basically you take into account the ratios and if you want to dive into the minutia we'll have the link to the article that ben blyweiss posted that's hey here's what we did for Call that neon dynasty uh, the, the sorry, call call time is the article on Star City, or sorry, yeah, Neon Dynasty. Yeah. Ben Blyweiss just lights Watsy up about yeah. um, variant ratios, which is again something we'll talk on, but not something we're going to dive into because it's a lot of numbers that you might not really want to care about, like chance to open the yellow and red Hidetsugus. And so you can you can do the actual math one of two ways. You can say in this, so what we did at Miniature Market was we said we want to pre-sell eight of each Mythic. How many boxes do we need to order or to open to have eight of each Mythic? And from there, all right, let's go and see what we can do. Yep. And then you crack it out, you figure out the ratios, and it's basically like a two-to-one ratio for, or three-to-one, depending on what era, of rares to Mythics. Mm -hmm. From there, you figure, all right, if rares are three to one, then out of every four packs, I will get one mythic. Cool. How many mythics are in the set? It's usually like 18 to 20. Master sets can be different. Times five are remastered because, again, variants, things are different. So you can do it that way, and you can say, here's our algorithm. We're going from the solution and working backwards. Or you can say, hey, we don't have infinite allocation as a vendor. I'm only getting 40 cases. If I want a reasonable portion of the set, 
say I open 40 boxes, what are my odds of ending up with at least one of every mythic? And from there, it's, all right, let's get the algorithm. Look at the ratios of rares to mythics to commons to uncommons, assuming no duplicates, mm -hmm. and, like you said, cutting out foils. Uh, now, the interesting thing about foils, in my experience with Miniature Market, was we actually didn't pre-order foils at all. Mm -hmm. We tabulated them up when we were done cracking. So once you're done cracking your product that you've done your algorithm on, because you don't know... Like, you may know, hey, I'm going to end up with 500 foil commons. Cool. How many of those are going to be the same common, though? Yeah. Will you end up with one of every common? Because the insertion ratios on that stuff are significantly harder to algorithm out when it's, I have one foil in every three packs. I have X odds for a common, X odds for an uncommon, X odds for a rare. And this is, of course, assuming we're not opening collector boosters, which generally are just a bad product to open because their cost is over twice what it is for a set booster or a draft booster. So that was kind of the way I, the way I've seen it done is always you either start at the solution and say, I need X amount of each mythic and reverse engineer the equation, mm -hmm. accounting for the ratios of rares to mythics. And the reason you do that is because that's your smallest ratio. You don't care about getting all of the commons. You care about getting all of the mythics. Because if you do that, it's a reasonable assumption that you'll get, you know, 20 to 40 of every common. And what a lot of places do is they'll, you know, pre-order similar to Card Kingdom. We're going to gatekeep X amount behind this price. Yeah. When those sell, bump it up, gatekeep the next amount. And that's that's how I've seen the algorithm run before. And again, minutiae in these articles. We'll have it. Yep. Uh, didn't want to waste a whole episode on you know xyz times two whatever algebra has letters i'm i forget math it, that's it, why i play magic exactly and this the <laughs> and so up up top what is what is uh you know pack cracking math it's just an it's just any number of algorithms that allow you to solve for what whatever you need be it yep. i have 40 boxes what does my mix look like at the end or i have infinite distro i know i'm going to want to sell x number of boxes so i i pull that from my my rate okay now if i need to open because i'm pre-selling 12 of each mythic how many boxes and what am i left with to continue to open over time that kind of stuff and that is it at its simplest this is also why it this isn't unique to miniatures market there are other vendors that don't oh, yeah. list foils for that exact reason you don't know what you're going to get and while i know pack cracking math for foils does exist it's not like you can't figure it out it's just at some point in time the juice is not worth the squeeze and you're going to over you overshoots the wrong word but you might end up opening too much product for what you want because you could have sold the rest for more by having left it sealed yeah and that also is kind of a, a per vendor thing, the decision to crack for foils and list. Uh, a lot of times you'll see them, you might see one X's for a set. Um, some places still sell complete sets, foil and not, and that is something yep. that you might, you might see. But nobody's gonna sit there and list like 24 of the hottest foil mythic, I don't think. Uh, no, and that was actually, thank you for mentioning that, I'd forgotten part of our algorithm was also because we had complete sets at many that we sold we sold the 1x yep. 
we sold a 4x without rares and mythics we sold a 4x with rares and mythics so that is also something you have to account for if your business does that in their pack map Mm -hmm. so that dovetails beautifully into you know why do vendors need this math and it's so that they can stock so they can serve their clientele an LGS may or may not do this. It depends if they want to have either case stock or pre-orders. This is not an end situation necessarily. You can do both if you're large enough. Usually, from what I've seen, it's an or situation. Uh, there are stores like uh, Ice Imports that had a TCG player presence and had the TCG, TCG player hardware on-prem. So essentially, we would walk in and put your order in on-prem. I think Mox Boarding House has something similar. Yep. And it just pulls from effectively their website, at which point you're ordering you know, from their pre-release or their pre-listing stock, so to speak, yeah, and or from the LGS. But at its core, that's what it is. You have to have product for the new set. This is how you get your product, and you don't want to open necessarily too much product to get there. There's always going to be some wiggle room but you don't want to go over because like I said, there are a lot of times where this product will sell for more sealed than it will open. And you want to make sure that you can accommodate that. You also want to make sure you can accommodate busting packs later on as well. If for whatever reason, your second or your third uh, shipping wave is lighter than the first, or it's just a banger set and you need more. And that's also important because, you know, when you mentioned, pre-orders specifically one of the things that a lot of vendors have noticed it turns out standard cards aren't worth a lot of money but they sure pre-order for a whole bunch yeah how many people paid 50 dollars for boseju when it was spoiled so one of the goals of this is to be able to have those pre-orders so that you can sell them for the inflated price to literally cover your cost because if you can cover the cost for three-fourths of your product on literal single sales and pre-orders well why wouldn't you do that then the rest of those boxes are free Mm -hmm. so that's that's an important aspect of it as well yeah so this next question is something we've kind of touched on but i think it is a multifaceted uh, question so when you're looking at a a new set as uh, an lgs an individual uh, vendor how do you determine the math or final quantities of packs to open and singles to sell. So I think that's kind of dovetails with what I just said. It's what is our goal with this, with our quantities? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what do we want to do for this stuff? And I think it's all right. If we want to cover three quarters of our costs for our allocation at launch. Okay we'll determine our algorithm from there. If it's, we just want to be able to pre-sell a play set of each mythic. Cool. Go from there. Or if it's something like, Hey, we want X amount of extended art of each card to stock our case with go from there. So from what I've seen, that is always, what is our goal with cracking these packs? Once you have that goal in mind, then it's okay now we know what we're doing now we determine the math now we do everything else and sometimes it's literally just what can you reasonably sell beforehand Mm -hmm. you know if you can reasonably sell 20 of each mythic because your website or your business has that captive audience great determine that if you're just doing it as an experiment to see like hey let's see 
you know, if I can move eight of each mythic on my, you know, not pack fresh magic TCG player store when I'm just some guy. Uh, and it kind of, you know, that's really where it goes is what can your business load handle? What can your employees handle? What does your store handle? Yeah. Or if you're just a backpacker, I mean, how many of these boxes am I getting and at what cost? Is it even worth it? Or should I just try to trade them out at whatever TCG low is mm -hmm. and just get singles instead? And to me, it's all about what you, you determine your goal in your math by, all right, or you determine the math and the final quantities by what is my goal with opening this product? I feel like for vendors and large stores, the goal is kind of always the same, and it's to max out quantity. Yep. And to, to capture that pre-release price, the, the, the pre-street date price, and you'll see this on individual websites, you'll see it on TCG Player. You know, two different yep. things. <clears throat> same thing, two different places. And I, the difference for me always seems to be at the LGS level. Whether you sell on TCG Player or not never really seems to figure into this. I don't know if I've seen an LGS crack for 4X. Or, for that matter, an LGS with our, without a decent web presence crack for pre-orders. Yeah. I, and I'm sure it's the same for you. A lot of LGSs around here just crack to have a binder. To have stock Something, of like, here's yeah. the commons. You know, we've, we've got it. And it's usually like half a case to a case. Um, now there is one vendor here that is one of the national Pokemon vendors uh, that they crack a ton of Pokemon, mm -hmm. but they have that web presence, even as an LGS, that they know they're going to sell through that stuff, right? Yeah, like that's just natural. Um, and I I think that's important to note that you know if you do have that, yeah, absolutely, do it. But yeah, the at the LGS level, it does. It fluctuates, and not just because, you know, do I really want to crack X amount when I can sell it, but also, it's no secret LGSs haven't been getting as much product. Uh, one of the main LGSs here that I work with used to crack a case of every set. Mm -hmm. Well, for the last three years, they've only cracked three boxes because they haven't gotten as much because of production issues, shipping issues, COVID, Amazon costs going up by like $12 a piece wholesale, which doesn't sound like a lot, except that $12 wholesale when you're operating on razor thin margins with that amount of overhead actually can make a big difference across a whole year. Is that when you say $12 a piece, is that box or case? Box. Okay. So 72 yeah. a case. Yeah. For a standard set. Yeah, uh, now it's 84. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's and every time that happens, that's something else that factors into your pack cracking math. What's my cost on this product? What am I paying employees to handle this product? Yeah. And that's been kind of, you know, unfortunately, the running theme over the last six months of episodes is Watsy doesn't care about the LGS, but guess what? Mm -hmm. Watsy doesn't care. No. So, at, so it really comes down to you know what what are your your goals and your business model and that kind of puts you down the the correct avenue you know we mentioned up top uh, individuals or, or back you know backpackers looking at uh, cracking packs you know for something like that if you wanted to get in as an individual it's best to have distro so you can get close to distro prices it's not the most difficult thing in the world but it takes some time 
but now you're in competition with some, regardless of where you're working unless it is truly local some large entities yeah um if you're just competing on the chaff you have to beat out places like the gaming co who will list hundreds upon hundreds of the same rare they are they're cracking for like jeez uh it's got to be close to rough guesstimation maybe 20 play sets 10 maybe like 15 to 20 play sets of each mythic just based on the rares like you can yeah you can pull a brick like also over 100 of any given rare on uh, pre-release from gaming co no questions um and then you know large vendors for individual web presence so it's like looking looking locally is it financially viable for you to crack these boxes and then you kind of run into that like i mentioned earlier that paradigm of well this box is most likely worth more sealed than it is cracked unless the set is as it's just gas yeah, exactly it's just cracked and demands to be opened but that's why there's like a, a run to the bottom or used to be on pre-release weekends and release weekends people would just race to sell their boxes on facebook because that was the best way to get rid of them so yep like as a backpacker if you can get cases that close the distro like yeah it might absolutely work out to fill your binders uh, definitely or move them at under under retail above msrp quote unquote and below retail which is usually like 120 or something like that yeah between 100 and 120 yeah. So, the the last thing we want to touch on, and what might what might actually be one of the bigger parts of this now, is what determines the pack cracking math and how do variants figure into this. And we've talked about at at its core, pack cracking math is based around opening a certain number of mythics because that, that's really what it is. That that's your golden ratio, so to speak. And if you use if you're looking at a two to one ratio of a set that has 20 mythics and 60 rares, and this is coming straight from the Ben Blywest article, these are yeah. roughly the numbers that we see now. That's 140 packs. <clears throat> 60, 60 rares plus 60 rares plus 20 mythics because it's 60 rares and 20 mythics in a set and a two to one ratio. So to look at 20 mythics, it's 120 rares, which means 140 packs. So at its core, that's the math no additional variables you yeah. mentioned before you might want to open a certain number of uh full art cards full arts. Yeah. yeah or um you know alt art stuff the 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 alternative frames the any number of variants in the set these all figure in correct yeah uh i i distinctly remember so the first high variant set right was a Korea, where you had the comic book style art you had some of the godzilla stuff there were there were all kinds of variants right i distinctly remember at many we did the math and we thought we did the math right for variants but it turns out we were short about 30 boxes because we were short on one variant and it was literally all of a sudden okay well we went from you know like 370 something to almost 500 boxes that we had to open from the time it was like MH1 to Acoria because of all these variants that they added. And it's, you factor that into the math. Otherwise, it adds more overhead because we're not going to sell these variants until we tabulate them all up. Mm. 
well, the overhead to do the algorithm is way cheaper than the overhead to go through and separate every single alt art from every single card, sort them, straighten them together. Mm -hmm. So it was just a lot easier to just do the algorithm up front, account for these variants, which hopefully there weren't too many because, you know, if you have one card that has three variants and every other card has two, that's an extra you know flub in the algorithm that all of a sudden we have to do even more math for this stuff now so it's the the variants are very important to that if that's your goal again if you're like hey we don't just want 20 of each mythic we want 10 of each variant mythic as well so yes that does absolutely factor into that math and it compounds far faster than the non-variant version does and I, i think there's a a hidden variable in here which is the human capital involved yeah because not only the 30 boxes doesn't seem like a lot until you do the math on it and 30 boxes x 30 packs is about one 1100 packs 1080 snowboarding and that's a ton of human capital especially for a smaller but uh, like a smaller operation than a Star City Games. You, you'll you have yeah. all hands on on deck for as long as is necessary to go through this, and it's shift upon shift of, of sorting and collating and then pulling for all your pre-orders, yep. not to mention listing, because you have to ensure that you can't sell it until it's listed. Yeah. And I think the human capital is the, the hidden variable here. All this is upfront to get you where you need to be to sell this product, to make your margins, to make your overhead. Factored into those prices is also going to be the human capital. So at some point in time, you will see the ROI and you will go black on this, but it is going to take some time. You will operate in the red for a fair amount of time while you're essentially prepping all of this to sell. Yep. Now, all this basically stages you to be able to sell a card and what we didn't expect Ben Blyweiss to do was not only take the Reddit thread that we were going to reference and turn it into an article on Star City Games for us, it was like he was reading our notes but he also added uh, how Star City prices cards and of course he doesn't pull the curtain back fully but this is how they do it and they talk about what, what factors go into that and we do recommend you give it a read but it's not something we're really going to touch on here because a lot of it is kind of touchy feely so to speak where it's like what's the buzz what are people saying are people brewing with it is it doing well and like uh do we get roasted on twitter when we post our pre-order price pre-test like i I didn't i don't want to call it testing but like pre-testing when people are essentially creating their own proxies just to test the cards like what's going on with it there's a lot of like uh subjective stuff in there and again great read just like the kamagawa thread we're going to to link about the variants and what what's going on there but this is why you see ben kind of championing a lot of this for people there's a lot that goes into pack cracking math and he's been getting on watsi's ass about how many unique skews are in this set because his teams need to prep for this stuff to get this all listed they need to open these packs so they need to understand what these ratios are 
so they know how to sell and set up their pre-orders properly. He goes on a tear about Hidetsugu's and the four different neon frames and what the rates were there. And like I said, I don't think they pre-ordered any of them. Instead, they just put a 5K price tag on their buy list and competed. They went fish. They went fishing yep. for that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and this all puts a bow around what was what is and what could be when it comes to the secondary market and how you operate as a vendor and this is one of those things that not a lot, a lot of people think about you know your lgs might stock a case but you don't know that they're running pack cracking math behind the scenes to make sure they hit some number uh, i think my lgs just cracked like two to four boxes just to have a case presence like you mentioned yeah there was no real goal besides when watsy said okay here's the street date you can start busting they just wanted a presence they wanted some stuff to sell instead of just buying yeah, from it. the players. Yeah. And I think this is something that just kind of falls away and not a lot of people get time to to recognize. And I'm sure there's a lot more that people want to know about this at the high level. This is really what it is. There's a lot more to it. Like you said, we'll link the, the Ben Blywa stuff. But please, if you want to know more about uh, pack cracking and what goes into updating and monitoring this stuff just come at us on twitter we're more than happy to to engage with you guys there or in, in the discord because like i said this is not something that a lot of people talk about besides ben so here we are yeah. celebrating our topic with ben blywas although he doesn't know yeah but uh that's basically the short on pack cracking algorithms so if you're ready we can go to picks and i'll go first let's do All it right. So uh, I want to say I'm picking another uh, EDH green card, but that's only because it taps for green. And this, uh, it's the world's tree. So oh, not a yes. lot, but it is, is a, it is a five color card. Uh, it's yes. something I've been watching since October of 2021. And it is, uh, it looks nice and flat on stocks, which is not the, the actual case. So uh, I've been holding off on this, waiting for buy lists to increase and finally got there and we didn't just get there boy howdy we doubled up so between october and march card kingdom went from buying 147 at a dollar 80 to 162 at three dollars 25 uh four or five days ago and their buy list is now 173 at four dollars so this card is up 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 and up uh the open market is a little different than that tcg player has been kind of stag uh sorry stagnant in terms of price dropping like a stone in terms of quantity they had 421 unique prices at uh, 361 market there are now 282 at a 366 market price so yeah a fairly drastic drop in overall yeah. quantity and a fairly stable price point which is reflective of the, the stocks graph but because of the buy list bump that's why we're moving in so when it comes to edh what does this card do well it really does one thing and that's play in five color because it has to that's the color identity of this card but it has a little side aspect of a god combo because you just go fish so it's uh you think it's narrow but not really as far as the overall format is concerned though this is basically chromatic lantern and chromatic orrery number two kind of yep. uh it's not usable in three or four color lists like chromatic lantern or chromatic orrery are which is like where they really start to shine so it's a bit more narrow yes this is one of the best color fixers for five color decks however and it's a bit harder to interact with as 
land destruction has lessened in time and isn't something a lot of players want to draw ire for. Uh, if you want to actually learn about this, I think the last like four or five MTG Goldfish Commander tier lists mention how Stripmine has declined in the last couple of years in Commander unprompted. In the single tire removal episode, they talk about strip mine. In the best creature episode, they talk about strip mine. It is ridiculous, yeah. but it is true. So uh, it's essentially uh, the it's a it's an essential part to the quote. How do I get this mana to work? Quote package like it just ties the room together. So I expect this to become foundational to five color lists in time, and you'll start each list the same. And the world tree helps ease a ton of your requirements soothing a uh, smoothing draws and increasing playability of otherwise shaky mana bases uh, the cost to include this in your list is really low and with a myriad of ways to tutor this up there aren't many hurdles to clear to ensure that you're able to play it each game that's probably the best part you know five color decks are almost always going to be fairly reliant on green for ramp and there's a lot of green ramp that just says go get a land be from uh Sylvan Scrying to Reap and Sow, and then you have ex Expedition Map. Like, it's just not that difficult in high power, low cost ways to go fish for this card. Timeline is a little more interesting. You know, the ebb and flow of interest in five color decks seems to be about nine months. That's our the cyclical nature of this. And that's usually when we get one great entry into the Pantheon of Generals. And if we take a look on EDH Rec, you'll kind of see this. You'll see Essica, and you'll see Tiamat. These are from standard sets. And you'll see Joda and Cody, right? These are five color cards from standard sets. And in between there is some chaff, like Atagatog, Cecily, uh, Garth. Hooray. Yeah, right? Garth, Algarth. So within the last year, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, A Forgotten Realms, Strixhaven, and Call Time, a lot of the generals I just called out all had five color generals with Go Shintai of Life's Origin in uh, Kamigawa as the latest element putting downward pressure on the card and the possibility of another decent five color general in any of the upcoming sets. I think our timeline is now about six months between buy-in, which is today, and our exit. Um, so like I said, up at the top, we have this nine month cycle where we get one really good five color general and a couple of duds in between and six months from now would be our exit point because that'll be just ahead of the next set of sets. So you can just prep to get rid of these. So with supply steadily moving, uh, another Goshintai or a Morphon or Essica could drast drastically shorten the timeline. And the reason I call those out is because those are the most popular decks and the most uh, easily accessible five color generals that I discussed. Um, Ur-Dragon and Tiamat are a little more dicey. Uh, AFR was not widely adopted, and Ur-Dragon is a commander product card, just like Ramos. Yeah. Now, reprint equity on this, I believe, is pretty low, unless it's renamed and makes sense either in a supplemental or a Universes Beyond set, as the world tree is very much tied to Norse lore. And, like... Yggdrasil's a thing, exactly. guys. Sorry. Exactly. Uh, as far as uh, buy quantity is concerned, you know, five color lists are the only home for this, and it's not the most popular option in EDH, so I wouldn't go incredibly deep if you do plan to trade these out. 
for that trading, I would recommend getting two sets at most because you only need one. If you have a heavy five color meta or plan to exit the buy list based on steady numbers on buy list, like we're seeing, I would go as deep as you feel comfortable. Like Chromatic Lantern, really the sky's the limit. And with lower reprint equity, sitting on a brick seems like a fine play, but I would keep an eye on them and look to make profit ASAP. So I just, you know, keep re-upping and not re-upping, so reviewing buy list and seeing where we are. Personally, uh, I have, uh, I think at this point, two or three sets of these, and I got them almost all at release no more because nobody's moving them locally so that's where i stand on this card i didn't really need to pick up any on tcg player in the interim but i think now is the perfect time to do that yeah uh i think this is incredibly sudden like you said the the fact that it is so closely tied to norse mythology that reprint equity is so important mm -hmm. because all right so if they do it in the universes beyond set there's nothing like that in Lord of the Rings, and there's certainly nothing like it in Warhammer. No. So for this year, there's not really a reprint unless it's in Commander Legends 2. Who knows? I wouldn't think so, uh, though, because that doesn't seem like a... Which is tied to D&D, isn't it? It's Commander Legends. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's tied to D&D. Yeah. So why... There's nothing there. Like, there's no world tree in D and D, well, lore, even, especially not Forgotten Realms. Not even. Well, it's not even Forgotten Realms. It's Baldur's Gate in particular. Fair. That yeah. And there's You're definitely tied. nothing yeah. like that in Baldur's Gate. And I, I'm, I'm glad you touched on the reprint equity because that's how people got hoisted, quote unquote, on Chromatic Lantern. It's gone back up, but that is what mushed Chromatic. The people who are sitting on Chromatic Lantern. It just took a little more time to exit, but. It is the reprint equity that makes this card really interesting. It's difficult to put into supplemental, too, because that means you have to accommodate yeah. it with a five-color anything. I mean, you had Essica in call time, so it kind of made sense. You had the gods, so you could go fish. It's not like you're doing that yeah. unlimited, but it all played well together. Um, I think if it was going to happen, it, the other place it could be would be in um, Dominaria, a trip back there. Sure. Yeah, if they... Yeah. If they renamed it and put it somewhere in Dominaria, because you do have a lot of, not a lot, but you have like Chromat and... Yeah, there's a decent amount of five-color lore yeah, exactly. behind that. Yep. Uh, the other thing I like about this card is that the fact that it pairs with a very powerful common creature type. Because it's not just the Theros gods, it's not just your Kaldheim gods, you have the Locust gods, Scarab god scorpion god you have gods throughout magic and it's the kind of yep. thing that the more we go to these not necessarily like religious sets or whatever yeah. but these like theistic sets and you know what dungeons and dragons sure has a lot of some of which were present in Baldur's gate gods mm. so who knows maybe we get one god that's just busted in half alongside perforos one day and suddenly this card can skyrocket because there's a random two-card combo that you don't need to ban an EDH because you can just have a conversation about it before your game and decide that it's okay to play yeah. it. And you don't need to rely on Masked Nexus as well. We keep getting more, more yeah. god. Like, I don't want to say prior to this, but Max, Masked Nexus was also in call time. Like, yeah. you don't... There's just so many. You just build that deck, and that's how it goes. That's, that's the flow of that deck. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Solid. I like it. All right. I am taking a page out of your book, and my pick this week is a green EDH card, uh, specifically Abundance from Urza's Saga. So to start with, I've loved this card for a long time. Its synergies with Sylvan Library are great because you just get to recall every turn and not put anything back. 
What's interesting to me is that this card has been reprinted multiple times. So Urza Saga comes out. We've had a reprint in Dual Decks, Nissa versus Omnixilis, yep. Commander 17, yep. 10th edition, yep. and then in the Zendikar Rising decks. And what's incredibly interesting about that is it wasn't until after the reprint in November of last year that all of a sudden this card sees a surge up to $10. Now, every printing mirrored this. Every printing, you know, went between 5 to 6 to $10. What's been interesting is that we've reached the valley since. We've set our new floor. And the Urza Saga one is about three times the price that it was before. Its floor was at $1.48 for literal years, basically. And now our floor seems to be at $5 and has been for months. I'd say that's a reliable floor. On the other hand, all of our other reprints have a new floor that is still less than a dollar, just slightly less than a dollar instead of significantly less, mm -hmm. excepting 10th edition. What this tells me is that there is a desire specifically for the old border version of this card. For the original Urza Saga, you know, flat green version of the card. Now, listing-wise, this is something that over the last couple months, quantities fluctuated a lot on TCG Player. We're overall only down about 10% across all listings, all sets, whatever. Uh, but we're down about 15% on the Saga listings, so we're starting to see a little bit of stock dry up. So why is this card playable? Well, if you take a look at EDH rec, it's kind of interesting. It's funny that we talked about LD and how people don't like LD because a lot of the cards that it synergizes with commander-wise are lands matter commanders. Yeah. It's something that I specifically run in an LD deck so that I can get my lands to recover faster. <laughs> uh, it is something that synergizes with any draw spell. One of the top commanders is Chulane. Chulane likes to draw cards and play lands. You know what Wizards of the Coast loves doing lately? pairing green and blue together, which draw cards and play and lands. Play lands. Uh, as far as timeline goes, this is one I'm a little bit less certain on. This is good. I would see this as a long haul type of card. Uh, I, so I wouldn't go more than, similar to you, about two play sets deep. It's an EDH card. Nobody's playing a four mana cost card in Legacy. No one's playing it in Modern, and it's Modern Legal. I don't yeah. think the game slows down enough for that to happen. So... But what I'd be looking at, just from a natural appreciation and drying up of quantity on this, is basically about a year plus, which isn't spectacular, obviously. We'd like a quicker turnaround, but that's also why I'm saying only get a couple of play sets. Yep. I would say pick it up in trades if you can, pick it up in rare binders, pick it up in places that may not necessarily, you know, know they have the card rather than just straight stock it off TCG player. You're out for this is probably going to be trades. Now, reprint equity, we did just get it in Zendikar Rising. Uh, it was in the Lance Matter deck. So I don't think we get it anytime soon. I don't think. But we could. Uh, I could see something like this happening on Dominaria, which again, the slight 
uncertainty of reprint equity is why as another factor in me saying don't go too terribly deep on this i have like 16 of this card because this is a card i love i throw it in every trade minder i have hoping that one or two of them move because someone's like i didn't know this card even existed i need this for some filthy casual edh deck i'll trade you for it uh so i'm saying don't do what i did go lower uh, it's also the kind of effect that, honestly, we don't have anything like this in Magic, except for uh, Abundant Impulse, I think it was. It, it was the green sorcery for one green that was this for the next card you draw. There's no effect in green like this for filtering your abundant draws. Abundant Harvest? It is complete... Yes, Abundant Harvest, okay. that's the one. Uh, there's no effect like this. This is unique, and it's not the kind of effect that, templating-wise, you'll ever see in another standard set. There's a reason that since 10th edition, it's only been printed in supplemental mm -hmm. product, which if production continues the way it is, it's probably not going to be enough to have a huge meaningful impact on the price of this card. Uh, this is also a card that to me seems like it's very invisibles appealing. This is, oh, you know, whatever I need, I'll be able to get it. I'm going to put it in my deck yep. without realizing that you don't need Sol Ring on turn seven every time, but there it is type of deal and i think that's another factor that may play into offloading this card if you have some casual players hey have you heard about this card i see you're playing green you should play this card it helps out so overall i think it's solid full disclosure not going super deep this is going to be a longer term hold if you're looking for more of a quick flip this is not your guy this is you know park it in a penny sleeve with four to eight throw it in a box, forget about it, check on it in a year. My Sarkin's Unsealings have still not panned out 600-plus copies later, but we'll see. No, I, man, Abundance is such an interesting card because it seems like when you look at Breck, and I'll, I'll bring it back up, and all the generals on here, I've seen the majority of them played in some way, shape, or form, either at tables or in commander content and either yeah. nobody draws the abundance or nobody plays the abundance so it definitely has an an invisible appeal but it's just i don't know if it's because truly people just don't know about it and thus don't know about it or the content creators that could help bring light to this card aren't drawing it so nobody gets to see what it does so it stays unknown uh it's it's really interesting because it's it's been around forever yeah. And it was just reprinted in a popular commander set. But that's the only reprint since 2017, which was a fine commander product. But it's no secret that the marketing, like the, the reach of the brand since 2017 has exploded. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised if two thirds of players that have started, you know, in the last 10 years don't know about the 2017 reprint because they started after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. It it really does sneak by. It's in fourteen thousand decks on rec. You'd think it would be just more. Yeah, more visible seems still like the wrong word to use here. I just don't. I don't get it. I, I don't. Yeah, it's it's just it it is an invisibles card. Yeah. It, it it truly is. It's not Sylvan Library. It's like a weird patched Sylvan Library and. Maybe that's what 
are well that's the marks against it is that it doesn't do what the yeah. old one did and thus people kind of forgot about it or set it aside or they look at abundant harvest and they say well i'd rather just pay the one for the one-time effect as opposed to four but yeah absolutely i think pulling up on a handful of the the saga version is the right way to go and the other thing is interesting so they never changed the art on this card it has the same rebecca guay art across all five printings despite the fact that they change the frame every time and to to your point the saga one that deep green frame complements the rebecca guay art very very well and the 10th edition is all right because it's a darker green than the rest of the frames not the flat green that it used to be but still still decent and i think that might play into it as as well as that there's also that aesthetic of the art never changes it was built for a very specific frame and color palette and when you shift that color palette it becomes a little bit of an eyesore so rebecca guay is a favorite artist of a lot of people and it also has that little bit of curb appeal to it so overall i think this is this is great i would assume in time people will pick up on it because as we've said in the last i don't know episode or two they're not making worse cards with ETB effects and landfall triggers and landfall style effects seem to be kind of a de facto right now. So yeah. anything that helps power that up is, I don't, good. yeah, exactly. Not where you want to be, but definitely, definitely good. Yeah. And this is agreed something to just sit on. It, it, it seems very, very easy to just pick up a set and score a little way. Yeah. I can't see why you wouldn't be able to move this in trade unless you just don't have that landfall player locally, which definitely could be a thing. So that's fair. There's yeah. that, but otherwise, yeah, pick it up and sit on it. Perfect. But I think that's going to be it for this week, everyone. Next week we'll be back to believe I discuss. I believe discuss Star City Indie, which is the second Star City event of their circuit. Yes. All right. Um, Dallas being the, the one after that and you know talk to you a little bit about the goings-ons there because I know we have been kind of light on that and maybe we can get a little bit of comparative analysis to TCGCon because that circuit yep. is still pumping although right now it seems to be a little bit below below water people just kind of forgot about it since Star City's running events yeah so, until next week we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter Patreon Facebook and youtube you can find the audio version of our podcast anywhere you can find podcasts the videos are up on our channel on youtube i am at halt i am reptar on twitter you are at thirsty sizzler we'll see you next week